0: We think that when we suffer a defeat, that all has ended. We think, as T.R. said, that the light had left his life forever. Not true. It's only a beginning, always. The young must know it. The old must know it. It must always sustain us. Because the greatness comes, not when things go always good for you, but the greatness comes and you're really tested when you take some knocks, some disappointments, when sadness comes. Because only if you've been in the deepest valley can you ever know how magnificent it is to be on the highest mountain
1: Aggieville,
2: Aggieville i in Aggieville Aggieville, Aggieville I'll Aggieville i in Aggieville Aggieville Aggieville
3: well I never thought we'd start the podcast with a Richard Nixon quote but here we are. you're listening to yet another edition of cocaine Willy and tonight. The vibes are bad. And I can already tell this is going to be a very low downloaded episode. So we might get a little bit uh, loosey goosey tonight. We'll see where the vibes take us. But the cats are coming off of a two loss road stretch against teams ranked last in the conference standings. And it looks like the race for the Big 12 title is far enough away to put to bed. That said, most are still predicting eight teams from the conference in March Madness. The cats are still solidly in the middle of the pack of the Big 12. Hope is not all lost. So I'll start it off with that. But the issue now, though, is that this team has gone from losing or winning close matchups with top caliber teams to now losing close matchups or, frankly, kind of getting blown out against bad teams like Texas Tech and Oklahoma, which is the last two teams that the Cats have faced in conference play. These two most recent losses have capped off a, capped off a stretch of losing five of six games in Big 12 play. And in that time, the team has gone from first in the league to a tie with Oklahoma State at seven and six, it's solidly in the middle of the pack, with four teams ahead of them, making them very much in the middle class. Chef, let's come on, come on to the stage. I've got a, I've got a very important question for you. Very important. What? Chef, I have a very, I have a very important question for you.
4: Oh man, I'm having a rough go of it,
3: buddy. To to go along with the other bad vibes, are you breathing in toxic
4: fumes tonight in Ohio? No, uh, the water is tainted. Uh, I I have superpowers now, so I probably could play on the basketball team, and they could use me.
3: And it might be needed at this point. Um, I I already did the intro for for everyone who uh, is joining on the live room here, but. Man, this is a this is a really bad stretch. I'm not gonna lie to to y'all, but last night I, I couldn't even bring myself to turn the game on after getting back from Valentine's Day dinner. It was it was already seemingly out of reach and knowing how the last few games have gone, I, I really didn't have a whole lot of hope, which makes me feel terrible, but
2: I don't know how y'all felt.
0: <laughs>
2: hey, I was uh talking on mute, so my bad. Um basically that kind of describes the week in a nutshell. Uh this team, the past couple games, has been so frustrating. Um, are we regressing to the mean? Maybe we are. Um, did we start the season, start the Big 12 season, just over the top based off of what we should be? Maybe. Um, it's pretty evident that middle of the season, this team cannot play on the road. They can't do anything on the road. Um does that give us hope that Saturday could go well? Yes. At least it gives me hope um, because I do think this team has played well at home to upset teams. Um, But at the end of the day, this team just has lost an identity. This team, quite frankly, has been ass for the past two games. And it's unfortunate uh, because – At the end of the day, they're not doing what they need to do against two of the worst teams in the Big 12. And that's, that is not how you get it done. And that is not how you finish up this month and get into March with, you know, we're, we're being told by ESPN and everybody that, that we're locked for the NCAA tournament. We could lose the rest of the games, go 7 and 11 and still make the NCAA tournament. That would be asinine. But, um, This is a team that when they're on, they're on, and they just have not been on, just hasn't worked. So it's been extremely disappointing um, to watch the past couple games and just see, see us play against, I would say, a little bit more of an inferior competition and just not do what we need to do.
3: It honestly kind of makes it that much crazier that they started conference play with two road wins at Texas and at Baylor, who are now both tied for the lead in the Big 12 at first place it's it's just crazy to me to think that this team started off as road dogs and then immediately once that that tcu game hit it's been losses ever since on the road it's just kind of crazy to think back to those first two road games in conference and 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 they were really massive wins
4: they were massive wins for sure but we got to remember i mean winning on the road is really really hard in the big 12 and i know we we, I went in very positive that Texas Tech and Oklahoma are the worst teams in the league. And statistically and record-wise, they are. But it's still on the road. You're uncomfortable. You have to do these things. To get wins is difficult in the Big 12 on the road. I mean, Texas just went down to Texas Tech. They lost. Uh, you know, Iowa State got smashed by Texas Tech. Bama goes on the road to Oklahoma. They get smushed. It It's not out of the realm of possibilities that what happened was just what happens to teams on the road. When you give teams like Texas Tech life, and Oklahoma really had no life before we went in there, and we're up three right before half. They hit a three, and, you know, that kind of takes the momentum very similar to the Texas game at home. Where you let them hit a three and get momentum going into halftime, and we we've we've talked about it at nauseum. This team has spans in second halves where they just disappear. And when you have no momentum, that other team is at home. You're on the road. You can't go lifeless that first five or six minutes of the second half because you're down 13 now and now you're trying to come back and win and that that shit on the road is almost impossible. So to what Matt was saying, were we scorching red hot at the beginning of the conference play? Yeah, I mean, we were 12 and 1 going into those games and we had nothing but positivity. Now what it, what did you guys say what last five road games? I mean that screams you have no confidence and Marquise Noel's shot from the outside is not hitting. No outside there was there's no outside shooters. Keontae Johnson is our best our Keontae Johnson is our best three-point shooter right now on the team. And he cannot find the ball inside to get a bucket. And we we'll go through the t- players individually, but I mean just all in all, no momentum, no no morale right now and it's tough to think that they can pull themselves out of it but i have faith that they will because it's basketball we've lost what eight games eight games now or seven games seven games we've lost seven games now let's let's be serious for a second seven games 19 and seven in the big the toughest conference in america Let's let's pump the brakes on. I mean, I know our expectations were high, and we had an opportunity to be the champions. But let's pump the brakes on writing this team off forever. So let's let's we'll talk about it. But you know, let's let's not kill ourselves yet, just yet. We we could we could suicide pack later. (laughs) I I agree with you.
3: I I think as far as as far as March is concerned, that's still that's still the goal right and and i think coming into this season we all thought that this team had the potential to make it to march great and then we we come into conference play guns blaze in first first place in the conference for a good while there through the majority of january and you know things have fallen off the map the last couple of weeks but but i think to your point chef you know we can't write this team off completely we're still going to be we're still going to make it to march I think, you know, I think it's probably fair to say Big 12 title hopes, you know, anything could happen, but I think Big 12 title hopes are dashed at this point. So we need to focus on let's continue to build the resume. Let's get a good win against Iowa State at home. Let's close, you know, close out conference play against ranked opponents against Baylor next week with a win at home. That would be fantastic. And I think you, if you get that win against Baylor, I think that sets you up well for, for those final three games to at least have a little bit of momentum, at least have a little bit of confidence heading into uh, big 12 tournament play in March. But, you know, I, I, agree. I don't think we should write them off completely. Uh, we definitely still have our sights set on March. That's still absolutely the goal it's going to happen. Uh, you know, God forbid we lose our last, <laughs> the, the last five games that we have six games. That we have five, right. But, um, so, I don't know. I don't know. Do we want to just get into the game reviews real quick?
4: Yes, yeah, sir. I mean, let's let's get away from this right. doom and gloom for a second and just <laughs> let's go into some real positives. This last game.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, what let's, let's is double this? down. <laughs> let's let's double down. The good. Let's chef. Double down on the doom and gloom. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. So so tech who also beat. Fifth ranked Texas this past week. So they're on a bit of a heater right now. And 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 if I'm being honest, I think this game is a little bit more understandable for K-State to lose than the Oklahoma game. Tex, you know, they I think it was like 86 to 90 percent capacity. They they still brought a decent enough crowd. They're on a bit of a heater right now, but but make no mistake, this is still a bad loss against a team who at the time was ranked last in conference play. K-State only had three guys in double digits scoring. It was Marquise with 18, Naquan Tomlin with 10, and, and Desi Grills, Desi Sills with 12. Field goal percentage was 35.2% to Texas Tech's 41.8. So they they outshot the ball statistically. Uh, three-point percentage was abysmal. It was 23.1%, uh, which was, ironically enough, slightly higher than the three-point percentage in the Oklahoma game, which we'll get to. Uh, To Texas Tech's 28%. K-State have few more opportunities at the line, but only shot 67% to their 72% from from the free throw line. I think, again, this has been a consistent theme the entire season. In games where the Cats do not perform well, the turnovers and losing the turnover margin by a pretty significant amount are a major, major detriment to this team's success. K-State turned it over five more times in Texas Tech. and I guess the last stat that I really have in, in in this game review is rebounding wasn't terrible for whatever it's worth. It was 36 to their 32, but we doubled them up on offensive rebounds and lost on the defensive side of the ball with rebounding Naquan Tomlin and Keontae Johnson combined for 15 total. So they both had a good night rebounding the ball for whatever that's worth. But, but, you know, chef, you alluded to it when you were talking about this team's inability to catch momentum, which again has been a theme and something we've talked about. K-State led for much of the first half of this game, but totally squandered the lead with a scoring drought in the in the closing minutes of the first half, where Tech went on a ten to one run in the final two forty five of the first half and went into the locker room down thirty three to twenty six. So K-State never recaptured the momentum after that it got it close in the second half. And, and there were a couple of moments where K-State trailed by one, but never led in the second half against the worst team, it, you know, statistically and, and rankings wise in the big 12, who again, they did have a big win against Texas. Um, so, you know, I would say that their momentum and what they're doing is a little bit validated through the last four games. They, I think they're three and one in big 12 conference play. So they're playing much better than they than they did the first half of conference season. But I want to throw it over to the both of you to, to talk a little bit more about your thoughts on the tech game, specifically uh, some of the storylines in that
2: one, and and ultimately uh, your, your main takeaways. I can start with this one. The tech game was one that internally I felt it was going to be a close game. I based that off of just the competitiveness of the game in Bramwich last month. Uh, tech has some talent. They have some players. That being said, this game is a severe disappointment because they were missing, I would say, two of their top players in this game. And it, the environment was nothing to write home about. And Tech has shown this season, it, you know, against some of the top teams in the Big 12, I mean, they can be competitive, but not not really. And I I'm less disappointed about this loss knowing that, Texas went to Lubbock and um, lost on Monday night, but still the, the big thing has just been the turnovers. It's absolutely insane to me how this team cannot hold on to the basketball. They just don't make good decisions. They don't. And the, the turnovers come at, at key times where you think we're making a little bit of a run and, it just completely kills the momentum. Completely kills the momentum. And if you're a poor shooting team right now, turning the ball over is the the worst thing you could do because you're not able to try and take advantage of opportunities on the offensive end. This is a, a loss that, although I felt I I wasn't as disappointed on Saturday night as probably other people because I knew that. We had a game against OU on Tuesday night, <laughs> which we'll talk about in a little bit. But this was a, a classic game where we're on the road and we just can't do anything. Can't do anything what we need, and it it was a, it's a disappointing one. It's a disappointing one at the end of the day.
4: Yeah, we could go we could go days on end with the turnovers and. A lot of that, I think, the turnovers is a lot of us pressing. You know, Cam Carter, three shots. I think he had three shots in his Texas Tech game. Over, I think he hasn't scored in the last two games. He disappears at times, and he's our starting two. You know he he gets no bask he gets no baskets, really gets no shots, and his his shots are usually off of defensive rebounds and in tr- transition and he, does, he hasn't been able to stick any of those. He's bricking free throws, whatever. But, you know, the guy, the main guys, Keontae and Marquise, honestly, they're slumping, and that's on the offensive end. But as a unit, defensively, Texas Tech really showed, and, I mean, it started with the TCU game down in Fort Worth um on in the road, we allow cutters and interior baskets way too easy. I mean, we can talk about the turnovers and how that leads to transition points and Texas Tech did that and so did Oklahoma. But really if you the tale of those games versus teams that you would say on paper are not as good as us. We allow too many baskets on the inside. And then to compensate, we start – I mean, some of them are this way, but some of them are not. Some of them are like Marquise, like trying to double team randomly. I don't know. He has that, he has that power within the team as a as a six-year senior to go and try to make plays. But it leaves us vulnerable because we start packing in, trying to stop the cutters and wide-open threes, wide-open threes, wide-open threes. It's just brutal. I know I'm getting toward that's really the Oklahoma game, but this Texas Tech game, if I were to just show you, like, the player that we saw, Marquise Noel and that Harmon kid, you would say that Harmon kid is the the guy that's been the like the Naismith player, the first-team All-American, the first-team all-conference point guard because that kid was absolutely murking Marquise, and he's a, he's a player. He's been balling out, but it's just the defense is what's been so, so glaring to me for this team. The turnovers, obviously, but even without the turnovers, I mean – Half court sets are just looking so easy for other teams that it's, it's scary to think like, how, how are you going to fix the defense? What do you do for that?
3: That's a great question. I don't know the answer to it, but I think, I think the other thing defensively that stood out to me is I, you know, I was kind of scrolling through Twitter last night and and good friend of the show Coley dub for those who know, was was sliding into someone's replies talking about three point defense, and I I pretty distinctly remember talking on this pod about I want to say it was one to two maybe three games in a conference play we were kind of praising the the three point defense that this team had because we we had limited teams to like sub twenty five percent if I if I'm not mistaken and the last few games I mean granted our three point uh, our three point offensively has been terrible through, through some of these last few games. It's just not hitting for, for Marquise for whatever reason, but our three point defense has been just abysmal. There, there's no other, there's no other word to use for it. In in the Oklahoma game, it was 20% and in the, uh, or wait, no, we were, we were 20%, but, but in the OU game, they shot 51% from beyond the arc, I think. Um, or forty seven percent. It was it was something insane like that. And, and Texas Tech was was higher than we were in in the game that we played against them. But still twenty eight percent. That's still you know if you're making three out of ten from three, that's still pretty decent.
4: Uh, uh, well, let's let's be honest. The college game is when it comes to three point shooting. When we were praising what we were doing at the beginning of the conference slate with the three-point defense, college kids are different than these pros. If the shots aren't falling, the shots aren't falling. I mean, it's really contested and wide-open threes are kind of in the same ballpark, in my opinion. Like If the shots are going to fall, the shots are going to fall. I don't think – a, a late contest is really that much different than a wide-open three. So if if a team just shoots the lights out, they shoot the lights out. But if they're not, I mean, you can't really chuck it up to our defense doing anything. It's not like we're swatting the threes. It's not like it's an interior defensive thing where you like can put a body on them. It's literally if they make it, they don't. If if they make it, they make it. If they don't, they don't. The – what's – to me – with the three point defense you have to you have to have the balance where you're limiting the inside because those threes from the outside, if they're falling, those are daggers because you can't do both if they're not falling from the outside, you can kind of like play off and help on the interior you kind of and that's why the the term live by the three die by the three because in college. If you're not making them, it doesn't matter if they're contesting them or not. If you're not making them, you're it's just sometimes that night. But I don't I don't really give much credence to the three point defense because what was it? What was Texas Tech? What did they shoot? What did they shoot in that tech the Texas 42%. tech game? I mean they couldn't have shot 42? How many did they take? I mean it just done uh we took well, they were no.
3: they were 40 they were 42% from the field yeah, they, were, they, were
4: 20. they were 28 oh, sorry, sorry. they were 28 from 3 and we were 23 but look at i mean think about this marquise probably had the worst game of his k state career i mean he had the numbers he had 18 points but if you take away his threes we were 5 of 15 that's 33% right is that math right yeah that's 33% yeah, yeah. you take that you like that or the other team our team was doing their thing from three, the uh, other than Marquise. Th- their team, I mean it's just a balance of seven of twenty five. I mean, they some of them fell, some of them did it, but interiorly and transition, because what Matt was saying with the turnovers, that's what loses you the game, because you lose the games in those those turnover those transition points, and then on the interior. And then once you start trying to play the interior tighter, they hit a dagger three, and it just swings the momentum because you don't. It's you're thrown into a, a a vortex of like, what do we do? What do we? What can we possibly do on defense where we try to contest the three, but then the interior is wide open for offensive rebounds and cutters and all this stuff. It's just so hard. So if at the beginning of the season, I I could bet you. That teams were shooting better than 28%, but we weren't, we were better on the interior defensively. That's what's killing you, man. The interior defense is just too easy for teams. It's just way too easy.
2: I have nothing else to say about this game. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> Everything that everybody has said is absolutely right.
3: I I mean that makes my job easy. Uh so moving on to the Oklahoma game. I mean, coming into both of these games, I I have a lot of receipts from last week from me from the, you know other people on on here on Twitter just talking about how both of these games, you know, the we should go 2 and 0 in these games. We should should be a walk in the park or you know, obviously, you know, Big 12 schedule is tough and all, right? But but if you're going to win two games, they're going to be these two. And we we couldn't have been more wrong about that. I specifically couldn't have been more wrong about that. You you look at a team like Oklahoma and coming into this game, sure, they have a dominant, dominant win against number one ranked Alabama, who, for the record, just lost tonight to Tennessee. So that's that's gonna shake up some uh, some Joe Lenardi predictions. But that's their biggest win of the season. They, they played incredibly well in that game, but, but you look back to the first game they played this season, they lost to Sam Houston at home in a bye game, and they've been beaten by 10 or more points in six of their 13 conference games so far. So I, I would qualify, you know, losing by 10 or more points. I would, I would call that basically a blowout in in big 12 play considering the parity in the league. So they're getting blown out in almost half of their conference games coming into this game. And, you know, K-State, if you look at the stats, it doesn't look terrible, terrible as far as who we had in double digits and who we had scoring the ball. But some of these other stats, it's like, it, it's just, you're not going to beat a team that's shooting. What was it? They shot basically fifty percent from beyond the arc. They had thirty-three points from three, so they were draining shots. They and and we just weren't doing enough to to keep ourselves within reach. But look at the guys off, you know, who were scoring. We got Naquan Tomlin who had seventeen points. Keontae had fourteen. Keys had fourteen, and Bebe came off the bench with eleven, which is which is great. I would love to see Bebe coming off the bench with eleven points in every game. I know that's not entirely possible, but that's a good game for him, and. You've got. You look at Oklahoma's box score and you see Grant Sherfield dude, just lit it up for Oklahoma. With Twenty-two points, eight rebounds, six assists, and shot three for seven from three. Uh, the Cats were miserable beyond the arc, four for twenty, shooting twenty percent. That's just terrible. Um, you're not going to win a game with with twelve points from beyond the arc, and or maybe you are, but but you live by the three, you die by the three, and in this case, we we definitely you know it didn't we didn't live by it i could tell you that much um we went 43% from the field to oklahoma's 51% so better shooting effort than we had in in the texas tech game which was you know pretty close game at times but but when they're shooting 51% they, that's just not going to do it and we were out out rebounded we turned it over 14 times to their 11 we fouled them more oklahoma is they they were just probably the best version of themselves last night, to be totally honest. And it's, it's going, if, if, a team is going to give you their best, you have to give them their best in return in the big 12. And, and if you're not going to give them your best, you're not going to win the game. And that's why K-State lost by 14, simply put, uh, 79 to 65 final score, um, Again, I, I thought we'd be in good position coming into this stretch of, of the last few games in conference play, and I was absolutely and completely fucking wrong about that. So I, that's about all I have on that one. Uh, I would love for, for both of you to go ahead and, and vent and rant about the Oklahoma
2: game. <laughs> Evil laugh. This is a bad game. And, and honestly, it wasn't even a bad game. It was a bad second half. The first half was competitive. We had a little bit of a lead in certain parts, and, and it was a competitive first half, which was good. And, and I was taking that. I took a a tie game at half as a win for us, knowing what we've done on the road in these past games, and knowing that OU, OU was going to come out with a fire because of the dud they laid against KU. On Saturday, I felt that we at least were competitive, and we we're going to make a second half out of it, and and come through and and pull out a win. And obviously, I was really wrong on that. The defense was really bad. The defense was really bad. Um, we we as a team have proven this season that we're capable of shooting behind the arc. We didn't do that. Um, I say this in the nicest way possible, but you know, Naquan had, I think probably his second best game in a cat's uniform this season and it was needed, but we needed just a little bit more from our star guys. You need Keontae Johnson on the road to be smart, making some shots. Marquise had a better game. That's fine. But this team together, can't play defense right now. And you have a team that's shooting really, really well behind the arc. When you're, even when you're switching into a zone and they're making things, you know that, okay, this is going to be really, you know, kind of a tough one, but this was just a dud, a a bad performance against a bad team. And it's a situation where, yeah, we're in the big 12 and every game in the big 12 is a tough one. This was one that, you had to win to really know that this back end of the big 12 schedule is, is a capable one for us to where we can, you know, if we win our home games and, you know, we steal a few on the road, we could still be in it at the end. This team looks like they're the eighth best team in the conference right now. Do you,
3: you want to talk about road games? If there's a road game on the schedule, that's, that's virtually a guarantee because it's not going to be an intense or an intimidating atmosphere. It's going to be this one on Valentine's mm-hmm. day on a Tuesday night in Oklahoma at what the Lloyd nobles, whatever the hell they call that place. Their attendance was 45%. The place is 45% full in an already non-intimidating atmosphere. You've got to, you give, give me a break. Like if you're going to have a game, that's, that's essentially a buy game in this conference right now, as it currently stands, it's going to be this Oklahoma game. And if you can't even get that
4: one, that's, that's pretty rough. Well, go ahead. I mean, if Matt wants to finish his if, – if you want to finish, Matt, you can. No, uh, no, no. Uh, go ahead, go. I'll say this about the the road atmosphere. I think that contributed to uh, the second half, in my opinion. Uh, we saw what we we were getting into in the first half. We, were, we weren't sleepwalking, but we weren't, like, alive yet. You know, Keontae wasn't aggressive in the first half at all. Marquise was playing smart. He was feeding the ball, dishing it very well, but he still can't shoot the ball very well. And we were just asleep at the wheel. Like we literally fell asleep. I mean, like, probably nobody said anything at halftime. We come out, the crowd's probably cut in half again, uh, to 20% of what's left over. People are going out to their Valentine's date and whatever, and they're they're trying to get home and do what, what people do on Valentine's Day. And you know we just fall asleep and we let them bang off 33s three in a and a layup and now you're down 12 so you know the the shooting performance we talked I talked about it 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 just happens sometimes that the, the the team just shoots the lights out i won't say that that was their best game that they played all season i'll say alabama was they probably i mean they dropped 91 on bama so this team is talented that team is stupid talented and their, their matchup nightmare they tang literally saw it. gasson had to go because gasson had no no chance against the gross kid he that kid is too physical and he's too uh perimeter per, hold on let me get to, let me get it together perimeter oriented where that guy could shoot threes and that just was not a good matchup for gasson it all all the stars aligned for Oklahoma to tax tax our ass, and they did. So I'm not going to take a lot of stock into this game because I thought we were going to cruise to a dub, and they showed that every game in the Big 12 is an impossible level of difficulty where you have to bring your A game no matter what, and on the road – in a sleepy environment of a barn of a, whatever you want to call this place. We didn't bring it in the second half and we got our heads caved in.
3: Chef, I'm, I am curious real quick. What were your thoughts on the play of uh, Bijan Cortez?
4: (laughs) You know, he's, he, he's, he proved that he's a top this time and, and he really put it on, I mean, he's, he's a dirty boy, man. I mean, he he probably likes getting his hair pulled, but I'm not going to thro- hold that against him because, he, I mean, he shoves Marquise off like like a toddler. And it, the refs, I loved how they called it in the first half. The refs in the first half called that game exactly how a basketball game should be played. I mean, there was probably, what, seven fouls in the first half? Maybe, maybe six? And they let him play there was a flow to the game marquise was in flow everybody was everybody was playing basketball the way it should be and then the whistle just got absolutely weird like um who was the ref who was that guy he's famous i can't think of his name it's higgins passing. higgins he just he he said in the second half i got to i got to make sure they know i'm in the building today and he calls a flop on marquise what the fuck was that I, I want to ask you guys that because, I mean, the flop on the three, I get like if you kick your leg out to the side or you fall down unnecessarily. But if a guy j- contests a three and is in your landing area, where are you supposed to go? I don't get it. I don't get that one. Like the offensive foul ones, like the the lowering the shoulder and you fall back from like a nudge, I get that. that. That's a flop. But like on a, a three when it's contested and there's nowhere to fall, where where where's the f- offensive foul? Fa- I mean, where's the flop at? I don't get it.
3: I'll, I'll defer to Fireball Matt on that. I just frankly don't know enough about ball to to give you a straight answer on that. So so Matt, you you take oh, it away on this no. one. Um,
2: yeah. So. The call last night, I would say it wasn't as egregious as some of these that I've seen throughout Big 12 play, not just with K-State, but watching Big 12 games. And obviously this is a call that is being enhanced this season. It's being more of a focus from a refereeing perspective. And it's not perfect the way that they're doing it. Um, I, I do personally think the flop rule is kind of outrageous. Um, I... Do you remember the times when we saw Marcus Smart at Oklahoma State doing a lot of that stuff? Um, and, you, yes, you want to clean it up with also this mindset of player safety too um, and, you know, making sure that guys aren't getting hurt because of things along this. So um, it, for me, I because it's against us, I get ultimately annoyed but in the spirit of the game, or at least the, the understanding of the rules of the game, technically, it's a call that should be made. Um, hire me as a referee, and maybe I'll take the flop out of the game. I uh, would love to see you
4: running up and down the court in your Skechers and your Zebra shirt.
2: just like. Oh, fuck no. I'm not a Skechers <laughs> guy. No way. You will never see me wearing a pair of Skechers. Okay, <laughs> whatever you want to wear. I just want I know, to see you
4: with the whistle in your mouth, just ready to go. Sweat the be- sweat beating on that that beautiful bald cranium, just like ready <laughs> ready to blow that whistle. You
0: fucking spit. Get I would just there, I would
3: just love to see you wearing those sport goggles, right? Like the like the uh, Rex ball. Yeah, Rex, yeah. <laughs> Rex oh, You know, man,
2: maybe I'm... you could sign me up with the Rex specs. <laughs>
3: I do have one question for the two of you before, as we kind of pivot into thinking about the next two matchups, but what do you think it's going to take for Marquise and Keontae to get out of the slumps that they're both in? Because it, it's pretty telling that when those guys aren't firing at, you know, at least probably 85 to 90% of their potential in any given game, it's just... In a lot of cases, not going to go K State's way. So I'm I'm curious from from both of your perspectives, what do you think it's going to take to get those two guys out of this slump? Because even even when we've had maybe a down game from Keontae, in a lot of cases, Marquise is picking up some of that slack. But in a game when both of them are are out, like what do, what do you both think?
2: I think it's going to take a good start to the game. We need to we need to start well shooting the ball and Marquise has to build some of that early confidence with some, some good passes, good assists, Um, not necessarily taking last second shot clock threes from far behind the arc, but starting off the game finding guys open is key. And for Keontae in the games that he's done really well, he's been able to get into the paint and either have a a few quick layups to score or some of those short range jumpers that he's really good at and draining those. And in the games that we've lost, it's, we start off slow. Um, The Texas game aside, the Texas game was a little bit of an anomaly, but um, you know, in these two games at least, they they start off slow and then they get frustrated when shots aren't going down. And the frustration just looms and looms and looms through the game. That And that's natural. As a competitor, that's natural. Um, So for me, I um, – for me, I think they just have to start these games off a little bit better. Uh, they really do. And if it's the play calls getting – getting some really good uh, play calls in there to try and get some easy shots just to, to start the game off well, I, th- I think that's going to be key.
4: You're, I mean, you're dead
2: on, Matt. That's, I mean, that's
4: what it is. You know, for Keontae, let, let's be honest. Last game versus Oklahoma was not a bad game for Keontae. He, he was 6 of 11. He missed his free throws, which is what really killed him. I think that sparked a lot of doubt in his mind. Uh, because he wasn't, he wasn't aggressive like in the paint, which is not like him. And he, 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 he didn't have a bad game. I'll, I'll get to what I was about to say in a second. Marquise, our other superstar, his shot selection is what's going to be key because he. We saw what happened when we, we actually subbed him out in the first, or maybe it was the beginning of the second half, or first half, or somewhere along the line. We subbed him out, and it was you could just see that he is our primary ball hander and he is what gets our engine going because nobody else can do what he does with the, the switches and, and coming off of screens and stuff like that. But Matt said it perfectly. The Tang has to Tang or, you know, coach Malagi, or coach uh, Dowling or what's the other coach we got? Uh, Marco, I want to say Manning, but it's not. no, not Marco. Marco what's, what's, the, what's the the guy we got from the high school? Rodney Roque. Terry. Rodney. Rodney Terry. Rodney, oh, Rodney, Rodney.
3: Perry. Perry. Yeah. Rodney Perry. The other. The other Rodney. Yeah.
4: Perry. Perry has to. They have to show their chops because this letting Marquise kind of run the offense stuff. You know, just high ball screen. Keontae just kind of like that's where most of his turnovers come from. Is like him he's not a beat you off the he is he kind of has that in him is that 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 beat you off the dribble kind of thing but it's not his game that's not where he is most dominant we need to they need to show their chops and get sets for him constantly i mean i want like double picks and stuff run him off the ball to get him into that middle area and on the on, down in the the bottom half of the, the the court where he can make some plays closer to the rim because the dribble drives just lead to turnovers for him. It leads to bad decisions, and he's a great player. He's, he's incredibly fun to watch, but he gets frustrated earlier in games, especially dealing with Marquise. I'm not saying that there's something going on between them, but like their styles, now that like people know who to guard, it, it's clashing. And a reason why it's clashing is because nobody else is contributing. Let's be honest. Tomlin had a great game, but the game before that, I mean, he had probably 10, but nobody else is do- Gasan on a double ofer game. Uh, two two offers versus the bottom two teams in the conference. Cam Carter, another starter, over into the, the zero points. I don't know if he had had a stat he, in in these last two games. Really, really bad performances from them. Naquan is doing his thing. Desi, maybe he should be starting. I don't know. I mean, I'd love for you guys to, like, throw me that, like, back and forth. Like, maybe we can argue that. But, like, Desi needs to be in there because he, he's good defensively and he's a great ball handler. And he will uh, relieve some pressure for Marquise that you can run some stuff off of the ball screens. And he doesn't have to be the primary ball handler, but he can come in there and be an emergency ball handler if it gets later in the clock and nothing's happening. But, my God, those guys are doing nothing for the team-ish. another. I mean, I don't know what he did versus Texas Tech, but he didn't really do anything versus Oklahoma, and he's our set shooter, and it's not falling. It's just a lot of stuff that's not helping Keontae and helping Marquise because they have to carry the load, and it's unfortunate because a game like Oklahoma, if things go better in the second half, I mean, we cut it to six, and they call timeout, and they go on an 8-0 run, like shit, man. We have to be better getting those guys ball, those guys looks, because I think in the that 8-0 stretch after the timeout, after Desi does the right hand layup, beautiful in transition, Marquise jacks a three or something like that, and it just zaps it. And it's because nobody else is contributing that those guys have to do everything, and it sucks. Ugh. This team just isn't great. We're, we're I think, I think we can just say that. <laughs> I think we're, we, we have the, we, what did, what did Coach Tang say at the beginning of the season? They, somebody asked him, like, oh, did you see, because I think we were like 15 and one or something crazy. And they asked, did you see this in your team? Like, where, at what point did you see that they had the potential to be this? And he said, He said something along the lines of, he knew that they were good. He didn't expect it to be at where they're at. But once they showed me what they can do, they tattled on themselves. And so once they tattled on themselves, I'm going to hold them to that. And we can be that. But the message and the chemistry have to come back to where it was. What was it versus uh, the TCU game at home in Bramlage? Desi goes down on a on a drive and gets fouled, and Marquise comes to do the huddle, and Desi goes into a hug, th- goes in for a hug, thinking he was getting a hug from Marquise, but he's really just calling the huddle. Where's Where's that at? We don't see that. We see a lot of heads down, a lot of head shaking, not a lot of that same spark. Maybe it's the road environments. I don't know, but this will this will be a big test going into Bramlage on a Saturday after sitting in your own shit for a little bit stewing in it and having Iowa State come into into town. It's a big test and I think I think we have it in us to be great, Matt. Don't let the haters
2: get to you, man. I know what I you're seeing with your eyeballs, but come I, on. I don't disagree with you. Like I like I don't disagree with you because we've seen this team we've seen this team be really really good this season and but the expectations, maybe the expectations are too high after some, some really good wins. Maybe. Who knows? And, you know, that could be everybody's fault. But these are two games that, as we look to kind of project ourselves towards the NCAA tournament and, what, and and even the Big 12 tournament and where we're thinking, you know, these are two games that we really needed. And now you have two home games, which is great, two home games against an Iowa State team, which is on a little bit of a, a lull right now and a Baylor team that is just shooting lights out right now. They're winning games and they're doing a, they're doing a really good job of getting back into the big 12 race. Um, and, and so it makes me nervous that you snowball down the mountain a little bit and you lose two games that you probably should have won. And now you got two games that are going to be extremely tough I am excited. To, uh, I'm excited about Saturday. Maybe we'll transition this into it because um, I do think the Iowa state game will be a really fun matchup. and I think it'll be a really great environment against a team that we all dislike. I
3: Yeah, we, I don't think any of us really like them at all. Um, and I don't know, this whole conversation just reminds me of something my dad always told me growing up of he had a scout when he was, you know, he played and coached baseball at the collegiate level, but, when he was in high school or doing summer ball or something like that, a, a scout for the White Sox, I think it was, told him, kid, you got potential, but potential means you haven't done jack shit yet. And that's kind of kind of where I'm at with these last few games. We know this team has potential, but they haven't done jack shit the last few games. And until we continue to see that level of play consistently, I feel like the vibes might still be kind of low for, for a little bit. And and but But if we can get a couple big wins here and we see them reach that potential again, I think I think everybody's going to be celebrating. I think we're going to have a lot more positive vibes on the on the pod next week if if we can get through these these two games and and get a couple big wins at home against Iowa State and Baylor. And and with that, I do want to talk about those two games. So we do have Iowa State. They are currently ranked 17th in Ken 16th in the NET, and they are a half a game ahead of us in Big 12 play right now. Uh, with a seven and five record overall in the conference and currently leading TCU uh, by seven points at home, I believe in, in Ames. And I think the storyline for this team and and for lack of a better way to put it, they're great at home, but they're ass on the road, kind of like we've been the last few games. They're two and six on the road, which isn't a whole lot worse than us. We're three and six on the road, I believe. And so coming into this game this weekend, we have a pretty significant advantage, advantage I would say, for a team that's that's really shit the bed in their last few matchups on the road. And, and we know the guys to watch for since we've already played them, and we kind of went punch for punch with them in the last game. But it's Calcher, it's Caleb Grill, who's been kind of hobbled and and injured, and he's he's not. You can tell he's not playing at a hundred percent from what I've seen. Coons uh, and and Holmes, some of those guys, uh Lipsy for for Iowa State's another guy to watch for. Um, those are all the guys that that I'm at least looking forward to seeing what they're able to do on on Saturday. But what are some of the things that that the two of you are looking for in this game? Do you think Iowa State's going to continue to flounder on the road, um, knowing that they haven't won a single road game in conference play? I'm, I'm curious your thoughts and and want to get into uh, some of these. The, you know, let's let's just get into it.
2: Yeah, uh, there's a couple guys um, at least from the Cyclones side to watch out for. I look at Caleb girl. I mean, he went off last year in Manhattan, um, had a, had an excellent game. I mean, he's obviously a, a Kansas guy. Um, he's probably their most annoying player, uh, just only from what I've watched from Iowa state this season, but, um, thinking about how we've struggled at points and, uh, defending the three, it's going to be important to cover him. Um, Uh, Koontz is another guy that can make threes. Um, Jaron Holmes is good at making threes. I mean, this is a team that I I feel like is similar to some of those older Iowa State teams that were just chucking threes. But um, based off of our poor three-point defense in this last game, that's something they have to shore up. Um, K-State's going to have to shore up if we're going to be able to keep this game competitive. Um, And then Gabe Kalsher is just a a really good player. Uh, You know, one of the – I would say one of the top players in the Big 12. And um, it is a team, yeah, they're not very good on the road. Um, So something's going to have to give, right? I I think uh, something's going to have to give. Yeah. Man.
4: Koontz, we didn't get to see him in Ames. He was still dealing with that – hand wrist kind of thing. I don't know what was going on with him, but he he didn't play in the game in, uh, in Ames. I'm not sure. Did we have a full team? Was Gasson playing at that point? I think he might have been. I he don't was, think he, he was. was. He wasn't playing, he, but he had know. he had come back for a game. and yeah. he
3: was in the practice. Like they we were doing warmups with, with them. For yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, because Jareem Dowling had posted on Instagram, and, and he was doing the ups with the team. But no, he didn't play in the game in Ames, unfortunately.
4: Right, but you know, the the home away. It's hard to win on the road, and if Bramlage is rocking, and if we we can bring the energy and the team can rally around that, I think we'll be we'll be just as tough to uh to beat on uh, on the road. And Iowa State is a is a solid team. Uh, their interior guy, what's his name? Sani or whatever his name is. Uh, Yee
3: or Yee. Yeah. yeah,
4: he gave us problems in in Ames, and that's where the whole Gasson, my whole logic on having fouls came from because he's not a great free-throw shooter. He did bury a lot of free-throws in that game in Ames, but I think if we can if we could control the interior, I think that's where it all comes from because they like to shoot threes, but if if their, their cutters are open in the middle and Coucher's hitting mid-range because – that's what I mean. That dude could shoot mid range. He's like a like a a bigger light skinned version of Barry Brown, and it it kills me because he's got game. And I hate to say that, but they they've got a decent squad. But I think we can rally, and you know we're not as bad. We're this is what I'm gonna say about what this whole thing and in, into the future. We're not as bad as we were versus Oklahoma and Texas Tech. And we're probably not as good as we were beating Baylor and uh, dro- dropping 116 versus Texas on the road. We're probably somewhere in the middle. We're probably somewhere against like that, the the TCU game at home, the the Kansas game at home, the, the close I- loss on the road at Iowa State. We're probably that team, a very tough to beat at home team and a very stingy, solid team on the road that that gets it close but may not always get the dub. I think we're that team and I'm not scared of like the teams that we have to play like even the the Oklahoma game and the Texas Tech game they're we're better than them on paper but we just have to we have to rally and become that team that we were and I think we can do that versus Iowa State. I think everybody let's breathe. Let's all be cat fans. Let's all reflect on the fact that we're nineteen and seven. Let's think about like, let's think about what we would do if we were in the a- ACC or if we were in the freaking Atlantic Ten or in the Big East. We'd probably be the number one team out there. Let's all just chill.
2: Whoa.
4: Let's all just chill and and reflect that we have <laughs> a good salty team, but that we're on a little bit of a stretch.
2: You actually bring up an interesting discussion and Maybe we talk about this in a little bit. And honestly, I'd love to hear Philip Slavin's thoughts on this too. But thinking about the strength of the Big 12 this season and how the Big 12 is being perceived nationally, you would assume that the hard games that we're playing in this conference are going to help these teams in the NCAA tournament you could also assume that in the NCAA tournament because of how difficult the conference is, is the big 12 going to have a majority of their teams knocked out early on because they're just tired. They're just, I mean, conference play is such a a slog that they can't make it through. Uh, You know, if this team was in the ACC or something like that, it would be interesting. But then if you lose to bad teams on the road, that really affects your, your seeding, Whereas, I mean, right now, Joe Lenardi has this like as a four seed right now. So it, it may be a good discussion topic to have a little bit later on, but the perception of the big 12 and how strong it is, you know, these games you would assume are only going to help us when we get into the NCAA tournament, but is the team going to be, mentally and physically prepared for something like that because of how difficult this conference is.
4: Okay. Let, let's let me, let me throw this out there. Get your tinfoil hats ready for a second. You know, Brett Yormark was in town for what game was he in town for that? We lost Texas, Texas. was the, the Texas game. Okay. Now Brett Yormark is a champion for basketball. He, he says this, this is a basketball conference. Uh, he's trying to bolster the basketball brand. Brett Yormark goes to Jerome Tang that evening. He goes to him at halftime and says, we've got some teams at the bottom right now that's struggling. Oh, my God. And he says, you know, I kind of want to say we, we've already been perceived. This is Brett Yormark saying this. This is not what I'm saying. This is what Brett Yormark, and I'm, I'm telling you this is what he said. He said that I want a 10 team NCA tournament conference. What can you do for me? Jerome tank says, you know what I we're, we're having a dream season right now, but I'm willing to put our team on the line to get 10 teams in. And the first step is to let Texas tech win and to let Oklahoma win. And he, and you know what Brett Yormark said, he said, you're my man. And he went over to the other locker room and talked to Rodney Terry. And Terry said, I'm going to also let Texas Tech win. I'm going to give up our first place conference alignment right now and in the standings, and I'm going to let Texas Tech win so they can get into the tournament as well. And I think that there's a giant Big 12 bond conspiracy to get every team into the NCAA tournament right now.
3: So so, what do you think the odds are that Tech wins out knowing that they've got West Virginia, Oklahoma, TCU, they're at Fog Allen Fieldhouse, and then they've got Oklahoma State at home?
4: I don't know if they'll win out. Uh, I have to get back to my sources with Brett Yormark, but uh, you know, I think that if they can sustain wins, I don't know what their quad one victories are right now. I know we're one. I know uh, that Texas one was. I know they've got – they probably didn't have any before that. They had a really, really shit schedule, but they're, they're, they're trying to. They're damnedest to get them in there, and I don't think. I think it's going to be a coin flip. I think they'll probably flip it in the locker room to see who wins that Oklahoma-Texas Tech game, and they'll probably play it by ear to see who needs to win more, and then just let it happen that way. But I think Kansas. I think Brett remarks going to Bill Self and saying, "Hey." What do you think about letting Texas Tech get a dub in, in fog? That, that might be tough, but, you know, to get 10 teams in, that might be what needs to be done. It. And I think Bill Self says if the NCAA violations aren't as bad and if I can get another $50 million for our facilities <laughs> from the state of Kansas, you know, why not? Let Texas Tech get a dub. Tech has three quad one wins
3: and Oklahoma has four quad one wins. But Oklahoma is currently 65th in the net, and Tech is 62nd in the net. So those two are about as close to being in as you can be at this point in the season with, with where and the honestly, I think is at.
4: I think Oklahoma is kind of um, that team that Brett Yormark has uh, talked to the Dayton mayor and said, hey, we're going to have an Oklahoma team in here playing in that first four. Just prepare yourself for those Sooner fans showing up. All six of them, but you know I think I think the conspiracy is in. I think the the, the tinfoil hats are real that there's gonna be a 10 team NCAA tournament bid conference.
2: Wow. I don't know what to say. Um I I will okay. The one thing that I will say I didn't make that up. That was Brett <laughs> your
1: mark. That was Brett right Your mark. So and- I
3: didn't I mean the the Oklahoma and Texas news came out what the following week after he had the conversation with Rodney Terry in the locker room. So who knows? Maybe he passed it on to to Chris Del Conte. <laughs> I the
2: one my one prediction I will say is I think the Big Twelve tournament champion is going to be a six seven eight or nine seed. Hold on! I do think what that. What the
3: hell did you just ho, say? Ho, ho.
2: No, 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 no. A six, seven, eight, or 9 seed in the Big 12 tournament, not in the NCAA tournament. Huh? What I'm saying what is saying? I think oh, a team. The, the team that wins the, the, the Big te- 12 tournament yes. is going to be. A, oh, my God. I was so lost. The team, a te- the team that wins the Big 12 tournament this year is going to come from the 6 to 10 range in the Big 12 standings. I do Honestly, think that,
3: I could see West Virginia being salty in the tournament and, and eking out a win. They're, what, currently like 7th or 8th, right?
2: Yeah, or like in Oklahoma State. No, I was just going mean, to say that
4: Oklahoma State's
2: going to win the way, it. They're going to win it. The way Texas they're Tech is salty. playing, um, if TCU gets Mike Miles back, the way that TCU's playing without Mike Miles and Eddie Lampkin, they don't look super great, but... That's a team that, if they get those two guys back and they're relatively healthy, they could be a six seed in the tournament with all a chance in the world so i that does just bring the parody of the big twelve how good this conference is um conference tournament's gonna be fun. it's gonna be fun. We just gotta fucking get there without sepoukuoing ourselves. We're fine,
4: Matt. We're fine. Uh, Bob, I want you to insert that clip that I sent you. Oh, don't you know, worry. It's at the somewhere. beginning. Oh, okay. Just, it's at the beginning. Well, then I maybe, we, I, maybe I should have prepared for that and like ease this into it and not been so doom and gloom. <laughs> no, you're good.
3: You're good. I, I, I will start the podcast with that clip. And so that'll be inserted at the very beginning before we even get, you know, F14 emo by Abe and Wayne and me doing my stupid intro that I do every week. So we'll, we'll get it. We'll get it. I, I, I say in my intro, I did not expect to ever hear Richard Nixon on this podcast, but but here we are. Um, so the, the next game that I want to pre- preview real quick before we get into some guys talking ball, if we, if we want to do that, I think uh, Fireball Matt had some ideas for that. But we've got Baylor also at home. We won this last matchup, and granted that was on the road in Waco, but granted that's, this is a team that, that feels very different from the team that, that won in Waco in, what, the second, third game of conference play. So Baylor now has also flipped the script, done a complete 180 from where they were when K-State got that victory in Waco. Uh, Baylor started out conference play 0-3, and we were the third loss that they encountered in conference play. They've since gone on a tear Um, they've won nine of their last 10 and they sit in a three-way tie for first right now with Kansas and Texas, and they're in the top 10 of both the net and Kenpa. So this is a very different team (laughs) the team that we faced in what second week of January, first week of January. And some of the guys to watch out for, I'll I'll just go through the list here. You've got Keontae George. He's currently their leading scorer with 16 and a half points per game, four and a half rebounds per game and three assists per game. Uh, Adam Flagler, 15.8 per game, uh, 2.3 rebounds and five assists. Uh, LJ Cryer, he's 14.9 points per game, 2.1 rebounds and uh, two assists per game. And Jalen Bridges, who's averaging 9.7 shooting, 5.8 rebounding and one assist per game. A couple other guys who are are major names that you will hear on the broadcast. Uh, Flo Thamba, Langston Love. And the biggest one that I want to talk about is Jonathan Chamuchachua, who is back After a really gruesome injury, and I do want to give him his roses a little bit. There's an incredible article in The Athletic about just how extensive that injury was. And I don't think anybody really, frankly, saw that coming with how how extensive that injury was. There was nerve damage. It was a really, really long recovery process for him. So great to see him back out on the court. And he's been a a very good difference maker for Baylor in the four games that he's been back for. Shooting 50% from the field a hundred percent from the free throw line and 44% from beyond the arc. So if he has a good day, a good day to compliment the three guys that they already have averaging over 10 points per game, I think it could be a long day for the cats, but if we give them their best, the same as we did in Waco, I, you know, it could be another shootout and that was an overtime win in Waco. And, and honestly, one of the most fun games we've played all season. So who knows? Tang knows that team. Uh, so Tang knows that team. Tang knows Scott Drew very, very well. So if anybody's gonna know what the playbook is going into that matchup, it's it's gonna be Coach Tang. If
4: LJ Cryer shoots eight of eleven from three, we there's no win. I mean, it's just it's just that simple. I mean, if they if they get guys to perform all time levels like LJ Cryer was, I mean, there's no beating that team. They're so guard oriented. We don't have the horses to keep up with that. Keontae George, first round draft pick. Um, you know, I, I I listened to a couple of Baylor podcasts. I don't know what the pronunciation for Jonathan Chachua?
2: Ch- Chachua? Jonathan Chamwa Chum, Chachua. Chamwa Chachua. Chamwa Chachua. Chachua. If
4: you listen to a Baylor podcast, they say it's Chachua. Chemchua. But I but that, we're not a Baylor podcast. Wait. We don't care if that guy can play and you know we, we do we have the horses to keep up with them? I don't know. We're, it's 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 so up in the air. I'm so I I don't know, man. This is a buzzsaw on the Big 12. Do I'll say this. <laughs> I'll say this. Do other teams look at K-State like we look at other teams? Hmm. Do they do they say, "Oh, Baylor, we got the next two games, so and so, and then we got to go to Bramlage and play K State." Do they say, "Oh man, that's a, that one hurts," or do they be like, "Or are they think of us like we thought of Texas Tech and Oklahoma?"
2: Oh, I don't know if I would not say that. Um, I will say, I mean. It's probably it's not the level of Allen Fieldhouse and we're not the level of Kansas, but it's a tough out. I mean, game in and game out, it's a tough out. Um and so I would imagine they're I mean, they're not looking ahead to K State, that's for sure. But um, you know, depending on how the game goes on Saturday, uh, you know, an Allen Fieldhouse, is it gonna be an angry Baylor team that's gonna be coming to Manhattan? Um that'll be interesting to see. So the one thing that I'll say about Baylor, just my opinion on on the game and I mean, Baylor since losing to us in overtime is has won 10 out of their, their last 11. That's a pretty incredible number to, if you think about it, especially with how good the Big 12 has been this year. Their one loss is on the road to Texas by five. Um, I wouldn't say they've necessarily been dominant in their games, but they figure out a way to win. And when you have a great coach like Scott Drew, that's that's a key to this. I think Baylor is going to win the Big Twelve regular season championship. I do. Out of the teams, Baylor, Kansas, Texas that are tied right now, and then you have you know Iowa State at whatever seven and five, et cetera, et cetera. I think Baylor is going to win the Big Twelve. Um, I think they they just have they have the talent they have the experience they have the coaching to get them through a stretch where right now their final five games four of them are against teams ranked in the top twenty. That's just my opinion. Um, saying that, I'm indicating that Baylor's going to win one of the next two games. So they're either going to win in Allen Fieldhouse or they're going to win in Manhattan. I don't see this team going 0 two just with the way that they're playing. We're going to have to be really special. We're going to have to control Keontae George and make sure that he doesn't go off in this game. You Mentioned LJ Cryer, his ability to shoot behind the arc, Adam Flagler, similar to that. Baylor's just, they've got really good players and we just have to find a way. We just have to find a way to make some stops, uh, you know, get it into what I would say is a defensive game, a low scoring game. If we can do that, I think we'll have a fighter's chance, but if we're going to be in an offensive track meet, I don't think there's a way that we're able to win this just with the way that we're playing right now.
3: I I agree with everything you said, and I I, I think that Baylor is finally becoming the team that everybody thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season because they were preseason rank number what five? They were a top five team in the preseason before. Any any games were ever played, and then they you know they blow out Mississippi Valley State like 117 to 53. Everyone's like, oh shit, Baylor's like really good. Um, and then you know they started to lose some some interesting games. Like they lost that game to to Virginia. They lost that game to Shaka Smart at Marquette. Um, and then they lost those first three games in conference play. But really through these last ten games, and and again the close loss to Texas too they've been the team that everybody thought they were going to be as far as, you know, they're, they're getting the wins. They're, they're proving themselves their net ranking and Ken Palm is, is looking about where you would have probably thought it would be at the beginning of the season. And I think you also bring up a great point. Like they're, they're not winning these games in dominant fashion for the most part. They're, they're finding ways to win but I think those are some of the best teams. Like it, when, it, when it comes down to it and it comes down to brass tacks, like those teams are the teams that are going to win in March. And those teams are the, the type of teams that are going to find a way to win through this last stretch in the conference. So so I would agree. I, I think of those three teams at the top of the conference right now, I think Baylor is set up well to, to ultimately win the conference. And I think they can win it outright, especially if they get a win at Allen Fieldhouse and if they can take care of business at home against Texas. Uh, what next week or the, or the week after. So I, I agree a hundred percent with all of that. I don't really have anything else on this Baylor matchup. Fuck anybody, Baylor. anybody else have anything? <laughs> no, nah. I mean, thank you for, uh, thank you for Jerome Tang. Thank you for Jerome Tang. I, I have to thank them for him. Um, Sweet. So well, that's, I mean, that's all we've got for that. Do we, I mean, Matt, do you want to get into guys talking ball? We're, we're at a, an hour and 13 minutes right now. So,
2: well, I, I have probably a very quick guys talking ball, but I, I will say I am a pretty, I'm an avid watcher of college basketball. College basketball and college football for me, a lot of people would say college football is probably their, maybe their most favorite thing to watch. I love watching college basketball. Love the NCAA tournament. Um, I'm, i I love everything about it. This season, to me, I feel like there is not a great team in college basketball. Um, and so, for guys talking ball, I'm curious who you might think make the final four this year. Do you think it's going to be chalk? Think it's going to be all one seeds. Uh, who? What teams? have you watched this season that make you think, yeah, this team's going to go to the Final Four if you had to pick? That would be what I – my guy's talking ball.
4: If the season – if the tournament started right now?
2: Yeah, tournament started right now.
4: Mm. See, it, it'd be so hard because it depends
2: on what the regions look like and all that stuff. So, you know, It's hard. So. To, it's hard. It's hard to do it. I'm using so I'm using the bracketology, Joe Joe Lunardi's bracketology, and okay. uh, shoot, give it to me. Okay, so, let's fire up the machine. So firing up the machine. So you have the one seed. You have the one seeds are Alabama, Purdue, Houston, and Kansas.
0: Hmm.
2: Out of the one seeds, I like, uh, a Purdue yeah. has been really good this season. And they have probably the best player in college basketball, but. None of the one yep. seeds outside of that. Scream, yeah, this team's really good. I I or like a great team. They're really good. They're really good. I think that's fair. But
4: Yeah. I mean, he, he Purdue the thing about the thing about it, everybody has their flaws. There's no team that's like, "Oh man, they're so good from top to bottom." Maybe Houston, you could say that is really good from top to bottom, but Obviously, they're not tested as much as a team like KU is or even to the extent Alabama is. So where where we talked about it earlier. You talked about – Bob talked about it. Teams being – or was that you, Matt? One of you guys being, being run down after Big 12 play or does it give you hope that you've played the toughest teams in America already – that you can make a run because you've seen the best of the best. That's probably where Houston's downfall is. But Purdue, I mean, you, like you said, they have the best player in college basketball, the most dominant, uh, the the Canadian Yao Ming. But they they have their front court, their back court is all freshmen. They have freshman point guard that 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 usually doesn't lead to success unless that freshman is like a. Uh, Derek Rose or something like that. I mean, this guy is, he's all right, but he's a, he's a Purdue system point guard. Will that translate into the NCAA tournament over six, six games? I don't know.
2: So I'll, since I started, or since I brought up the the topic, here's my final four. Here's who I'm thinking. I think in the South for, so Joe Lenore's bracketology, I'm thinking Marquette. Who's looked really good in a very similar manner to Baylor past ten games. Look excellent in the Big East. Bob Trollsby, I know you watch you watch the Big East, you watch your Jays. Marquette's look pretty good this season. They I- fucked me tonight by
4: <laughs> by beating Xavier. Xavier, yeah. They should have won Xavier should have won that game. And I mean, just just games like that. I mean, Xavier is all right. I mean, Marquette is just a fast pace, and Bob knows the Big East pretty well, and I'd like for him to talk about it. But I wanted to get my point in that uh, Marquette's not as good as we think they are, in my opinion. <laughs> and
2: I, I, but that, I love that can you. be said for every team.
3: <laughs> I love you trying to give me uh, roses with the Big East, but I'll be honest—I've watched one Creighton game this season, and it was the game they played against Texas. I've I've totally fallen off the map in in watching the Big East primarily because Creighton was my team in the Big East. My dad played and coached baseball there. I was a huge diehard Creighton fan growing up. And and as soon as K-State won that game against Creighton in the NCAA tournament, I've, I've never looked back. I've never really even given them the time of day or really cared to watch much of their basketball. So I pretty much have, have given up on on Creighton as far as my fandom is concerned. But Look, they're they're a really good team. And I think what Marquette is doing with Shaka Smart is, is really incredible. The thing that I would be weary or leery of is, will he get to the tournament and do what he did every year at Texas, which was lose in the first or second round?
2: That's a wonderful question. I mean, going back, I, no, I, it's a fair question. Um, is the Marquette model, is Marquette's, program being modeled to shaka smarts texas or shaka smarts vcu and i I yeah that's another fair question um the basketball that i've seen from marquette thus far gives me vibes that that team can make a deep run in march Um, and i would say upset alabama in the south the east has ku as the number one arizona as the two I think Arizona is a really good team, and they have dudes.
1: We should yeah, know I something like about dudes. I like
4: Arizona a lot. You know the I you, like Arizona. You brought up the I. I didn't get to put my team in because I'm just now looking at the bracketology. That Louisville uh, South bracket. I mean, Indiana has every right to win that that bracket. I mean the. It, it, the regional would be in Louisville. They just have to get Alabama. And Alabama, let's be honest, they they blow games where uh, teams can shoot. And Indiana, I'm a – now you guys, Bob can have his Big East. I got the Big Ten. I watch a lot of Big Ten basketball. And Indiana, dominant, dominant, two dominant players. And they can shoot from the corners and if you can't guard in inside like Alabama has a tough time doing because they've got a lot of slender fast breaking offenses and slender defenses that what's my guy from Indiana what is his name Davis Trace Jackson Davis Trace Jackson Davis that dude will eat you alive he'll drop 30 and 20 on you so I think Indiana has the best chance in the South, in my opinion, if I'm not going chalk.
2: Indiana, that's a good one, too. That region is actually interesting because I could see any of the one through five seeds in there. You got Baylor. I mean, Creighton's looked pretty good past few games, too, but obviously Bob hasn't seen that, so we don't need to talk about them. um so, yeah, I, my, my final two in, the, in my four before we get to y'all, the West region, I'm thinking UCLA. UCLA has looked really good, and they have experience of, of guys that have played really well getting to the final four. Um, Jamie, Jamie, Jaime Yaquez, and Tiger Campbell. Um, so I think they upset Houston. And then in the Midwest region, I mean, I think Purdue, Zach Eadie's just a beast. They could play Oklahoma State in the second round, and that would be an interesting battle with Caleb Boone and Zach Edy down in the paint. That would be fun. I think that would be a really fun 1-8 matchup, um, but I would have Purdue coming out of there. And then, I mean, I don't know who's going to win the national championship, but that, you know what, that, that's going to be my four.
3: Oklahoma State gives teams fits too, so that that would be a really fascinating matchup. To watch uh, in the second round, there. I mean, I'm looking at this, and and I know this is not what it's going to end up being when when March happens and they and they release the bracket. But I I really I just I can't say enough about what Baylor's done. I've already said a lot about Baylor already on this podcast. I think they're the Final Four appearance out of that region if things stand today. Um, I like Arizona a lot. I think they're really 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 freaking good. Uh, so I'm going to put Arizona out of the East and, and probably beating KU. You know, a couple other names that, that stand out there. You know, Gonzaga is always going to be salty. Virginia is is salty as well. Yukon's had an interesting kind of up and down season. So that's an interesting matchup as a 5C against Kent State, I guess. Um, looking at the West, I would probably take Houston just based on their track record this season. They've looked pretty damn good, but they've also... Dropped a what a couple games to Temple or one game to Temple, so I don't really know how they're going to fare. I don't know that they're really battle tested enough, but you know it, it almost looks like one of the weaker regions if we're if we're looking at the whole thing here. And who knows, man? Tom Izzo always makes noise in March. <laughs> Michigan State is a seven seed; they could do whatever they want to. I I don't know. They're playing they're gonna be playing with some fire too um, after some of the events that happened this week so so prayers and, and everything for for the folks up in Michigan State um, but Midwest region Purdue I mean they've looked like probably the most dominant team in basketball this season if I had to put it on put that qualifier on it um, but they've got a really difficult region too you've got Texas in there you've got Oklahoma State like we mentioned you've got Xavier in there uh, Tennessee. Like they've got a really tough region. So I don't know. It just gets me Miami. They, they just won that game against North Carolina last night. So Nigel pack shout out. Um, I think all these regions are pretty interesting. Like just looking at it today, this is, this has been probably some of the most parody we've seen in college basketball to bring it back to your original point, Matt of like, there hasn't been a team that looks like they're the team and they're just going to beat the shit out of everybody else. But I think the closest thing we've seen to that is maybe Purdue, I don't know. I don't know. That those that's just my two cents.
4: Yeah. If I if I had to if I had to give you my final four, I would I would say in in the South, I think it it could possibly be Indiana. The problem with that is that I mean you're having to play. You'd have to play. I mean, I I'd probably say Indiana. They're they're really good. Then I would go in the East. I'd probably go UConn. I don't think they leave the state of New York, and that's basically home games for them the entire way. They're a little salty, you know. They they've kind of hit a little lull, but when their big guys are popping, they're they're tough to beat. And in a, a David, in a bracket where they would have to play Kansas in the Sweet Sixteen, I think they they can match up with Jalen Wilson and put it on them in in the inside I think UConn can run away with that that bracket the Midwest I mean Purdue yeah obviously there's I mean Tennessee would probably be my pick but if I had to go with it if I had to go with a dark horse though like Y'all better, y'all better stay stay up to date with fucking San Diego State. Like that team can play out west. They're they're salty as hell too. I like San Diego State a lot, and they've got that fucking, you know, they've got that fo- that dog in them. When uh, what was that? What team were they playing recently? And like they were getting real chippy. They were ready to square up, and I like that. I like that in a team. And like Bob said, the West is absolute dog shit. If if I wasn't such a homer for K State, like I mean,
2: that would who, be a really who, good region. For yeah, us. like yes, if, absolutely. Yes, like,
4: why not us in Des Moines? Like, it's not a far trip. Like, we're we're we could probably win that, and then but we got to go out to Vegas. Hey, got, I would prefer they got direct
3: flights from Wichita to Vegas on Allegiant Airlines, baby.
4: Yeah, that's true too. And we, we oh, man. There's no killers. I mean, there's absolutely zero killers on the bottom half of that bracket. Like, you, you said UCLA. I haven't watched UCLA nearly enough. I don't think I've watched a single Pac-12 basketball game, maybe. Well, we played maybe Cal. I- did you watch that game? <laughs> no, because remember, it was on Pac-12 Network, <laughs> <laughs> so I did it.
3: <laughs> I zoomed in uh, on Coach Sutton Coach Sutton, and Colton, yeah. Coach Tang. Coach
4: Yang. Or Coach and, uh, Yang, Coach Yang. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, and it would be how sweet would it be to get a rematch versus Nevada in that in the Sweet Sixteen? I don't know. I think we could. I think we could pimp our way through that. That, but we've got to play better. But that that is the weakest one. So I would abs for that. I would go chalk Houston, but that would be my Final Four.
3: Another kind of dark horse in that region would be Drake. Drake's had a really damn good run this season. And, and Darian Darren DeVries, who is a former Creighton assistant has, has been, he's been really great at Drake. I think they've gotten 20 wins or, or more in every single season he's been there. So that'd be, Drake. A, that'd be, that'd Drake? be a dark horse. Dude, you think, you don't think Drake would give Iowa state fits in
4: Des Moines? I, no, in all, I would, in
3: Albany, I guess it, they wouldn't be playing in Des Moines. Would, that'd be, no, that'd be would, incredible if they were playing I in would, Des
4: Moines. I was referencing Soldier Boy, but you know, I mean, if you want to find the audio of him doing that from his little meme on The Breakfast Club, Drake, <laughs> Drake, uh, him saying Drake,
2: Drake,
4: but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about Drake, so yeah, let him beat Iowa State. Fuck Iowa State.
2: Philip, you're up on stage.
1: What? Yeah, a, what, let's, a, what let let Philip. Yeah, let's hear it, boys. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> well, same here. <laughs> uh, no, like, uh, man, uh, I'm, I'm, man, if you, if you asked me that question three, four years ago when I didn't have four kids, three and under, um, when I spent more time, like watching all sorts of college basketball, I would love to tell you my opinion. Um, I don't know. I, I, I have, I have no idea. I, I, like, Here's here's my thought on on college basketball this year is this is and I, I think one of you kind of said it. Sorry, I'm like editing the podcast and listening at the same time. Um, this isn't like a couple of years ago when Gonzaga and Baylor just were the two dominant. They're the best teams, and they met the championship game, and that was it. Like it feels like there are some really, really, really good teams this year, and they've all got major flaws. Like I can see. I can see 10, 12 teams making the final four and and we know there's one who we can't even figure out who's going to, which is the beauty of the tournament. But like like Tennessee's good enough to get there. Alabama's good enough to get there. They both also have flaws enough to get upset in the sweet 16. Um, I think six teams in the big 12, seven are, are good enough to make a run to the elite eight final four. Depending on how healthy and beat up they are, they could all lose by the Sweet 16. Um, This feels like the most wide-open year we've had in a while because there's so many good teams, but there are no just, like, perfect teams.
4: What do you think about uh, the WikiLeaks document of Brett Yormark saying that he is going to tank the Big 12 to get all 10 teams in there?
1: Uh, I missed that one, sorry. I was listening to his interview on uh, Canzano and Wilner before I recorded, so I I missed that WikiLeaks article, sorry. Uh, I'll say this. I would say that if you're paying attention to the Big 12 games outside of Kansas State this weekend, uh, the most important game in the Big 12 as far as getting eight teams in is Texas Tech versus West Virginia. I said it on 10-12 on Monday. Um, since the Big 12 hit its current 10-team iteration, the no team with six or fewer conference wins has ever gotten in. A team with seven wins, I think, has gotten in twice. I don't have it pulled up in front of me. So, like, seven is the bare minimum. And the Big 12 is so strong this year that I think a team with seven wins, if they're high enough in the net, can get in. And that the only two teams that – are in contention there because I'm not going to give OU. I think OU's win over Kansas State was more about Kansas State than OU, so I don't see OU somehow winning for. Saturday's game between West Virginia and Texas Tech is a big one to determine who of those two actually finds a way to beat number eight.
4: Well, I'll be. Uh, you know, the NCAA tournament is such a crapshoot. I mean, I don't know if you heard Bob's question about whether the the Big 12 sets teams up, especially for this year, better for NCAA tournament runs. Obviously, last year, it obviously set up perfectly because Kansas was the national champion. And, I mean, we've had runners up and Baylor. So, does it set up? Is, is that proven its point that the Big 12 sets you up? Or is it? Am I looking at it in a wrong way?
1: Um, I, think the, uh, I think the answer is yes and no. Because I think going through the Big 12 gauntlet, the cream rises to the top in the Big 12. And so I think the best teams in the Big 12 are poised when healthy to make deep runs. I think the rest of the conference often suffers a lot of early exits because you're so beat up um i am i am i didn't have this on tonight's show so i'll probably save it for monday i'm of the opinion that moving forward i'm all for keeping big 12 sc well there's not a big Twelve challenge the big 12 needs to give everyone a midweek off in the back half of the schedule somehow um I think you look at TCU and what's going on with Lamkin and Miles. I think you look at the wall that Iowa State and Kansas State are currently hitting. Um, I, I think if you're really wanting to, A, worry about the health of student-athletes, but B, do the Big 12 a favor, everyone needs a, a, a midweek off. Um, I think it would benefit every team. And I think it actually would prepare every team even better for that Late season run into the Big 12 tournament and into the NCAA tournament. If you can just get a week to to rest for a second, to catch your breath, because this conference is hard. And yes, next year it's going to expand. You're not going to play everyone. It's not going to be a full round robin. And we can make jokes about UCF or whoever else is joining the conference. And BYU is going to be good, but they're not. Like we can talk about all we want, but like it's still going to be really, really tough schedule. It's still going to be the best men's basketball conference in the country. Um, And you're going to talk about look. Huggins was talking on Saturday about you know, how hard it is for them with all these road games, and while I don't think their travel is the reason that they're 1-16 in 16 on the road since the start of last year's Big 12 schedule, that's in Big 12 road games. I do think he makes a point that something that needs to be looked at for the conference for BYU and West Virginia and UCF, who are your outliers geographically, um, if you want to really benefit the Big 12, a midweek off in the back half of the schedule, something that has got to be done.
3: I like it. I like it. I think it, you know, we, we talk a lot of, we could talk a lot of garbage on the sec for scheduling a dud in November in like week 10 or week nine, but it's, it's kind of similar in that we would, we would, you know, essentially give teams a little bit of a break. Um, Granted it's not playing a dud team. You're, you're just not playing at all in that midweek game. And, and, you know, I think, I think that would, that would be nice to give, give the teams a break a little bit. Um, I hadn't thought about that. So that's, that's an interesting thought experiment. And, you know, we're all about thought experiments here because clearly chef uh, with his tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, thinking that maybe your Mark had a conversation with, uh, with coach Tang about dropping the game to, to tech in Oklahoma so we can get 10 teams in the, in the, in the tournament. But yeah. I don't know. I don't have a whole lot else to say. Does anybody else have uh, have anything else they want to round out the pod with tonight?
4: Um, you, know, you know, I'll always bring the positivity. Uh, don't mind what I say in text message and group text about anything. So I'm always going to be positive. This team has shown us that they have the ability. We're Kansas State through and through. We're going to ride with this team. We have a tournament team. That's what we wanted. We're going to be in there. Let's start fresh starting on Saturday.
1: Uh, it, it, if I can throw the one conspiracy theory out there, if I was a Big 12 coach who didn't need – who the Big 12 tournament wouldn't significantly benefit me in either seeding or making the NCAA tournament – I would intentionally lose my first game and have a nice extended break for my team heading into selections.
3: I mean, Matt said earlier he thinks that a 6-10 through 10 seed in the Big 12 tournament will probably win the tournament. So, you know, that, that dovetails in pretty well with, with
4: your theory. There.
1: No one has ever won all four all, all four games to win the whole thing. No one has ever done it before.
4: Until this year when Oklahoma does it because they're the 10th team out and they get it and Brett Yormark has his hand in there again, just, you know, steadily poking the fire to try to keep us alive for a 10-team bid into the NCAA tournament. Uh, two,
1: Two big 12 teams in the play.
3: And, and Porter Moser will win his first two rounds and the play-in game, and he'll be off to off to Notre Dame or wherever he's off to next.
1: I mean, a play, one of the play-in teams has made a 16 run like every year, so you just got to pick one.
4: Wasn't K State when we got fucking <laughs> dicked down by Cincinnati? I think like fucking hell, man. That was the worst. I wanted to go to that Dayton game uh, when we played Dayton. Who did we play in Dayton like that? That, Wesley, that was Wesley Awandu's senior season. And I think we end up getting Cincinnati. They were like a six and we, we got, were an 11. We got whopped in that game. We, we got Molly whopped. I was super excited because... I wanted to go to drive to Dayton to go watch that game. And it was a great game that we ended up winning. I don't know who we played for the life of me, but it was, it was super fun to have us play Cincinnati and the last was the last time we played Cincinnati. So welcome to the the conference. And I hope we get a whole bunch of revenge on that ass. Yeah, same, same.
3: Um, Well, I mean, I think that does it for us tonight. The vibes were were sad to start, and I, I like the positivity, Chef. This is probably the most negative I've ever been on the podcast, so I'll, I'll take I'll take the positivity where we can get it. I'm also just trying to be realistic here, so so apologies if that comes across as negative. Um, I just try to level set my expectations so I don't am not disappointed on the backside of it. But for all of us here at Cocaine Willie, to everyone in the live room who contributed, Philip Slavin, everybody else, uh, thank you for. Contributing. Give Cocaine Willie a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to be notified of new episodes as they drop. Leave us with a leave us a review with your feedback. And if you're on Twitter, follow the show at Cocaine Willie or follow us individually. I am your commissioner at Bob Trollsby. The Good Chef is at Chef Andre Napier, and Fireball Matt is at Matt Marchesini. Chef, take us out.
4: Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby.
3: We're all coke and no joke. Wildcat Country That's
4: right I think you were around for two lanes, so we were pretty sad for that one too. (laughs) That one was pretty bad, but
3: uh, let's let's hope it's better next week.